0: mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Of course, we're going through this Sunday school exploring Psalm 119. And remember that Psalm 118, being the longest psalm in the Bible, is broken up into sections of eight verses apiece. And that each one of these eight verses begin, or each section of eight verses, uh, each of those in the Hebrew begin with a Hebrew letter. And so we've already gone through Aleph, we've gone through Beth. And now we come to the next letter in the Hebrew alphabet, Gimel, which is going to cover the next section of eight verses. We're going to start in verse number 17. Psalm 119, starting at verse 17. Notice with me if you don't mind, and let's see it together. Psalm 119, starting at verse 17. Deal bountifully with thy servant, that I may live and keep thy word. Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. I am a stranger in the earth, hide not thy commandments from me. My soul breaketh for the longing that it hath unto the judgments at all times. Thou hast rebuked the proud that are cursed, which do err from thy commandments. Remove from me reproach and contempt, for I have kept thy testimonies. Princes also did sit and speak against me. But thy servant did meditate in thy statutes. Thy testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. And as we come to this, if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you star, highlight, bold, do something with the entire verse of verse 18? Where it says, Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Now this is such an important verse, not only for its context, but it, context, but it is also important because of its placement. Psalm 119 in verse 18 is the central verse in all of the Bible. So if you take all of the Bible and you find the exact middle, the great divide, it's this verse here. And God could not have highlighted a better verse to teach us and to encourage us. Open thou mine eyes. Why? that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. One of the important aspects of the study of God's word is that God's word cannot be outstudied. It can't be outknown. That there are new things you can discover all the time. You could read your Bible a hundred times through and still find something you've never studied. Uh, found before. In fact, it should be such a thing that because the Bible is wonderful, it is wondrous, it should be a type of thing that should make you go, wow, often. Some of you know that when I sit down with folks and get in a conversation, there's a couple of questions I like to ask. And, you know, my first question is, how'd you come to know the Lord? I love to hear testimonies. And everyone should have a story of how they came to know the Lord. Second question is, how they Bible reading. And I'll ask you that often. And many people around me know that I get around and I'll ask you the question, how's your Bible reading? There's another question that I've been adding to my repertoire, especially with preachers and whatnot. What's the last thing in your Bible that made you go, wow, Whether from a message, whether from a sermon, whether it's from your own Bible reading. What's the last thing that made you go, wow? And by the way, that's a biblical question according to this verse. Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things from out of the law. You should be having a steady diet of wow. And if you are not reading your Bible and getting wowed, there's something wrong. Or if you haven't been wowed in a while there's something wrong. Because whether it's through the preaching of God's word, if God's word is being preached, there should be something go, wow, that's good. Oh, that's wonderful. When your personal Bible reading, you should read through it. go, something catches your attention. That's, that's good. I learned something. Wow. Wow. And by the way, if your Bible reading's like that, it's exciting Bible reading. It's where you can't read, to, read into it again. And it all starts with this prayer. Open thou mine eyes. This is a prayer to God. Lord, open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. This is the central most verse in all of the word of God. This is the great divide. This is the peak. Open thou mine eyes. And so with that, let's explore this psalm and find what we could see what we can learn, what can make us go wow within God's word, about how powerful, how majestic, how wonderful this word is. The first thing I want to show you is that God's words have treasures to be found. God's words have treasures to be found. Now, we start off with the premise that this is not a book written by man. This is a book written about Uh, by God and with this we also understand that this is not a book about man this is not a book about Abraham it's not a book about David it's not a book about Moses it's not a book about Peter it's not a book about Paul it is a book about God and the whole purpose of the Bible is to reveal God to man that God wants us to know him and we know him through his word. And so when we see the Bible and its purpose, it should cause us to read our Bible differently. You do not read your Bible like a biography. You don't read your Bible like a newspaper. You don't read the Bible like a blog post. You should read it late, uh, read it differently. Lord, open my eyes that I may behold you. Open my eyes that I may behold something wondrous from the Lord. Open my eyes. God gives a promise that if we seek, he shall be found. And because it's a book about God, if we're looking for God, God's going to be found. This is a living book. As I said before, you could read this book over and over and over and find something new. Some of you may have a favorite movie where you've watched it over and over and over and over and over. And you could repeat every line. You could do it as a sing-along. You may have a favorite book where you've squeezed every detail out of that thing. But you can never do that to the Bible. You could read it. And read it, and read it, and read it, and find something new. If things go, wow, I've read this a hundred times. I've never saw that before. Look at that. I'm so thankful for it. That the Bible cannot go dry. You can make it go dry, but the Bible can never go dry. You can never wring it all out. It is a wonderful living book. Notice what the psalmist says. Of course, verse 18 is where we started. Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Well, because we could find it, God, because we could find these promises, we find the key of finding God, of finding these wondrous things from God's Bible, with one word. Look! Look. Look. You just spend time to look. To seek and you could find it. God says he wants you to look. To spend time. I can't overemphasize that. Most people... (laughs) <laughs> what happens is they get to a Bible passage. Maybe there's a, someone preparing a message. Maybe they're thinking about something. What they do is they read the Bible passage. Hmm, ah, that's pretty good. And then they go to commentaries. They go to the blog posts. They go to this and they go to this. And they fail to spend time to look. To look. In my homiletics class, when I teach homiletics, the very first lesson I do is I say, all right, boys, girls, take your Bible Take a sheet of paper, get rid of everything else off your desk, close your computers, and I want you to take a passage, and for the next hour you're going to look. I want you to write down everything you could find. And when you think you found everything, look again. And you're in here for an hour, see it in an hour. And they go, what kind of garbage is this? This is a stupid professor, what is he doing? Read this and they'll write down a couple notes. No, no, you start with everything that you see and start writing down. And by the time I get back in an hour, they're like, hold on a second, I still need more time. I've got like five pages. Look, look, look. One of the things is that we just don't look. We get in a hurry. We read our Bible and then go jump to a different source. Go to, look, you will find a lot of things if you just look. Look look. With this, look at verse number 19. I am a stranger in the earth. Hide not thy commandments from me. With this, we have to realize that this is not our home. We're just a passing through. Our home is somewhere way beyond the blue. We're looking forward to to see what God's going to have. And the Bible is full of heavenly things. Not earthly things. It gives us things way beyond what's here on this earth. We can learn more about the spiritual realm. More about God. More about the things than that our day to day basis. This is not our home. This book is to give us so we could survive our time here. Because the, our time on here is rough. Our time on here is hard. Our time on here is difficult. How do we survive our time on earth? God's word. God's word. I am a stranger on this earth. So because I'm a stranger on this earth. Remember the word strange uh, doesn't mean that they're cross-eyed or something. It doesn't mean they're goofy. A stranger means something that doesn't belong there. I don't belong here. I belong somewhere else. And so how do I fit in in a place where I don't belong? By the way, have you ever felt like that? That now that you're a Christian you feel like I don't belong? That's normal. That's normal. You don't belong here. How do we survive in a place where we don't belong? It says, hide not thy commandments from me. How do I survive this place where I'm a stranger, where I'm different, where I don't belong? God's word. God's word. We have to look and behold God's word. That God's word has treasures to be found. And it's what we need to survive while we're here to keep us going. There's something else that we learned about God's word. Is that God's word is something to be desired. God's word is something to be desired. Notice with me in verse number 20. My soul breaketh. For the longing that it has unto thy judgments at all times. That word longing carries with it the idea of a fervent desire. We'll define fervent. It carries the idea of a heated, passionate. So the idea of longing is an idea of a heated, passionate desire. For God's Word. Someone who's discovered the worth of God's Word yearns passionately, <clears throat> fervently to read it. It's attractive to one's soul. That's when, as a pastor, when people are having a hard time reading their Bible, it's a strange thing to me. Because when you find out the treasures that's in it, when you find out the wonderful things within it, when you find all the th- benefits within it, You should be excited to read God's word when you realize this is wonderful. There should be a passion. I can't wait to read my Bible. That's the spirit within us. We understand that we have the flesh and the flesh is against those things. And if your flesh is in charge, it's going to drown that out. But when you are in tune with God and you realize the blessings in it, there should be a passionate fervency. I want to be in my Bible. I want to see more things. I want to see the treasures in here. I can't wait to read it. I know I've read it a hundred times. I can't wait to get 101 in. This is wonderful. Oh, I can't wait. There's a passion for it. Do you have that passion? Do you have that excitement? I want to read God's word. I want to see it for myself. I want God to show me something in there. I want to see and dig for the treasures and go, wow! That should be the desire that we have. It should be attractive to one soul. When we talk about this attraction, a needle that's left by itself, you guys remember Boy Scout days or, you know, that if you take an, uh, a leaf and float it on the water and put a needle in front of it and you put a magnet, that leaf, because of the needle, is going to try to get to the magnet. There's an attraction to it. A needle left to itself will try to get to the magnet. Do what it can to get to the magnet. We could put a needle on a table next to a magnet and it will rush there immediately. Why? Because there's an attraction to it. And as long as that needle is free to move, it will move to the magnet. That's what God's word does. It becomes attractive and that needle should be us. We can't wait to get to it because there's an attraction to it. Now, once we get saved, God does something with our soul. He does something with our nature. He changes it. He puts his own nature within us. And that new nature responds to the drawing power of the Lord. Remember, Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men near. There's a drawing work that God has. And his spirit is inside of us is drawn to him. Now, there's something else about that needle. That if you take a needle and you put it next to a magnet long enough, that needle will begin to take some of those principles, the same uh, properties of a magnet. That you could take that needle and leave it with that magnet for a while. And what will happen is it will become magnetized itself. You can go ahead and take that needle... And touch it to another needle. And it will pick up that needle. That should be what's going on with us. That we're attracted to God's word. Because we're attracted to God. And the more that we're with God's word. That same attraction is going to be able to draw other people. Because of that same principle. God's word has that power. God's word will help us to take on those characteristics for ourselves. Notice with me if you don't mind verse 24. Thy testimonies are also my delight and my counselors. Do you delight in God's word? This is that what we're talking about. It's something to be desired, something to be delighted for. We also see something else here, speaking about God's word, that we know that in God's word, there are treasures to be found. That in God's word, it should be something to be desired. But notice this, God's word gives us protection, when it is our delight. That God's word gives us protection when it is our delight. Notice with me verse 17. Deal bountifully with thy servant. Why? That I may live and keep thy word. Now notice this. You may kind of miss this out of context. We're going to put it in context. He says, deal bountifully with my life That I may live. When he says that, he's not saying that as a nice cute little term. He's saying this because he's in danger. He's in lots of danger. There are people who would like for him to die. There are people that would like for him to fail. They are cheering for him to lose. And so when he's saying that I might live, he is saying this is how I'm going to live. This is how I'm going to survive in a world that's against me. This is how I'm going to survive against the foes. Is by being in God's word. Notice if you don't mind we could see him discuss more about this in verse number 21. He in verse 21, 22, and 23, he's going to mention three groups of people that want him to fail. Three groups of people that are oppressing him, three groups of people that he has to deal with. And with this he's saying, "Lord, I need your word that I might live." Notice the first group in verse 21. Thou has rebuked the proud that are cursed which do err from thy commandments. The first group of people are people full of pride. What is pride? It's a false view of oneself. What is pride? It's thinking that you know better than God. I don't need God. I know God says this but I'll be fine. I know that God says this but I don't care. This is what I want to do. That's pride. When you come to the conclusion that you know better than God. I could do this better than God. I know God said this is the way I'm supposed to do it. But yeah, I know a better way. People are full of pride. Instead of lining up with the Bible, I've got a better way. It's like Christians who try to live the Christian life without Christ. People try that. It doesn't work out. You can't be a good Christian and not be faithful to church. You can't. You can't be a good Christian and be not reading your Bible. You can't. But people attempt it all the time. I know better than God. I'm fine. I've got this. And the people who think they know better than God don't like the people who are trying to line up with God's word. Notice what he says. Thou have rebuked the proud that are cursed, which do err from thy commandments. He's saying they're proud, and because of that, they err past God's commandments. Now, there's a principle here that's repeated all throughout the Bible, and it is a principle of pride to error to curse. We have all three of those. They had pride, they erred, and are cursed. This happens all the time, that because of pride, I determine I know more than God. Because of that, I err against God's principles. And then because I violate God's principles, there's a consequence and a curse that happens. You cannot violate God's principles and get away with it. There's a payday someday. There's something that's going to happen. Someone who says, listen, I could raise kids. I know what the Bible says, but I'm going to raise kids the way that I think I do. They're going to go from uh, pride to error. To cursed. By the way, when your children don't turn out the way that they should, it becomes a curse. Books, Proverbs speaks about that quite a bit. Well, I could be a good Christian, but I don't have to go to church. Their pride leads to error, which ends up to a lot of consequences that they did not have to go through because they choose. And that's the hard, that's the difficult thing. The cursing and the consequences come because. They disobeyed God's law. That means they didn't have to go through that path. They made a choice. They got confronted with God's word. I know God's word better. I don't need this. I don't need what the preacher says. And by the way, it happens. Like I said, I want to put cameras up in one day. So you can see the different reactions. You know, there are some people that could eye roll very loudly. There are some people that just give you this. Like, how dare you say, read my Bible? You can outstare me all you want. I'm just messenger boy. Your problem's with him. You know, you got the crossing of the arms. I once had a lady who seven different times in the middle of a message stood up and walked out of church. Seven times. I keep wondering why she kept coming back if she didn't want to hear it, but glutton for punishment, I guess. But you know, you get the different faces. And by the way, God told Jeremiah, don't regard their faces. Why? <laughs> it's, their problem's not with me. It's with them. With him, He's got to deal with that. But you see that. And you could see the faces in there. You could tell, oh, they're not liking this. Pride will lead to error. Error will lead to cursing. And you could follow the path every time. It's almost, there's no magic powers. There's no predictive powers, God knows, man, I could say, let me tell you what's going to happen to you. Nuh-uh. A couple years later, you were right. And I didn't have to be right. You could have just obeyed in the first place and we could avoid it the whole mess. This is a principle that falls all the time. Pride leads to error. Error leads to cursing. And that's what it says in verse 21. That was rebuke the proud that are cursed. Which do err from thy commandments. So, the first group that is around the psalmist is those full of pride. Notice there's another group that he deals with in verse number 22 Remove me from reproach and contempt, for I have kept thy commandments. The second group is a group of people who scorned believers for their faith in God, they scorned the believers. And fewer things are harder to take than someone who scorns. Think about a high school thing, all right? We could relate with high school. In high school, the goal seems to fit in, right? Because if you don't fit in, you're going to get picked on. You're going to you get jeered at. And by the way, students have a hard time in that position. Nobody seems to like me. Nobody invites me to their parties. Nobody wants to talk with me. That's hard when you're shunned. And by the way, we don't get much better when it's adults either. We're just not stuck in the same room with them all the time. Why don't my co-workers like me? Why doesn't my family like me? And because we feel like we're scorned and shunned, we feel like we have to change to fit in with them. And that becomes a temptation. Well, my family doesn't like the Bible, so I'm not going to say anything about the Bible. Well, that becomes very difficult. Well, my friends, they don't want to hear about me going to church. And it becomes difficult. This idea that scorners are around them. Now, we understand the scorners may not physically harm them. But that scorning is difficult to deal with. And that's why he says, remove from me the reproach and contempt. Why? For I've kept thy testimonies. He says, Lord, I've tried to keep your Bible. I've been trying to be obedient to it. Lord, you've got to help me with the scorn and contempt. Because that's a hard barrier yes. to overcome. It's a hard thing to deal with. When we feel like we're not accepted. When we feel like we're shunned because we're different. And by the way, we are different. If you follow after Christ for a certain amount of time, you will be different it's one of the evidences that the bible is true but again we don't like to be different that's something we have to accept and understand that some people will I meant we could do a show of hands we're not but every single one of us have had at least some snide comment why do you go to church so much you know I've had my parents put me aside and said, all right, what's this cult that you're joining? Because it's not natural for people to go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. You know, we we have that, that we deal with. And it is hard to be scorned. It is hard to be shunned. It's hard to be set aside. And the psalmist knew that. Now remember... We believe that the psalmist, by his description, he's the only person who believes around him. He doesn't get backup. He doesn't have a place where he can assemble and get the encouragement to keep going on. This psalm is made so he can continue to look up towards God in those hard times. Come home and having one of those days where everyone just seemed to misalign you. Lord, I'm going to your word. I have to go to your word. Because otherwise, if I don't go to your word, I'm going to give up. I'm going to quit. I'm going to try to be more like them in order to fit in. But I know if I follow after you, I'm going to be even more different. That's a choice. And I have to go to God's word. Otherwise, I will not continue on. Notice there's a third group of people that he deals with. In verse number 23. Princes also did sit... And speak against me. Here's a third group here. This is a group that's actually threatening the life of the believer. They are someone in authority that actually can do them harm. You know, it is one thing when you got people with pride who ignore what you say. And you could see with heartbreaking clarity of what's going to happen to them. It's another thing when you're misaligned, when you're scorned, you're you're contempted because you're different. But it's a different level when someone in authority who could do you harm is against you. Listen here. If you don't stop reading your Bible at work during your break, that's it. Have you ever had that happen? Listen, if you pass out another track, you're done. That's hard. They could do you harm. It's harm to lose your job. When people in authority are now against you, it's going to be very difficult to do what's right. Listen, I'm sorry. I need my Sundays free. Listen here. If you don't work on Sunday, I mean, those are some choices you have to make. And there are ways of handling it. You call your boss and say, Lord, you've got to take care of this. I can't, they're not listening to me. I mean, there are ways to handle it. But again, those situations are difficult. What do I do? What do I do? Well, what did the psalmist do? Princes did sit and speak against me, but thy servant did meditate to thy scriptures. His answer was to go back to the Bible more. When the bosses are against me, when those in authority are against me, I have to go to my Bible more. I have to think on those things. Think about this. I'm sure everyone's come to a situation. Maybe it wasn't against the Bible. Maybe it was just an authority problem. But doesn't that authority problem occupy some space in your head? You start to think about it. And if you think about it long enough, you're first of all not solving anything, just making yourself more miserable, making the situation worse. And replaying it in your mind over and over. You start losing your sleep. You start getting more nervous. You start, you know, walking on eggshells at work. And now your work's suffering. And you go through this. That's normal. He says, I have to change what I think about. The word meditate is the idea that I'm thinking about God's word over and over and over and over. I have to change what I'm thinking. Instead of thinking about my crackhead boss... Or thinking about the situation that's developed at work, I need to think about something different. I'm going to think about God's Word. Why can I think about God's Word? Because it has wondrous things in there. I need something to make me go, wow, because otherwise I'm going to go crawl in a corner and cry. Yeah. Yeah. I have to go to God's Word. When it's hard and difficult, when things are against me, I have to go to God's Word. That's what I have to go to more. And more and more. Remember that the thing about this psalm is that even though every verse speaks about God's word. It's still a testimony of someone who's going through the hardest things in his life. And he is determined to say God's word is the answer. And this is a written reminder thankfully for the Holy uh, inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That he says, I have to have a written reminder. I have to have something in my face. I have to have something with me to remind me how to respond in these difficulties. Go to God's word. Go to God's word. Go to God's word. Because if we were honest, going to God's word is the last thing we really want to do. If we had a choice, be honest, to think about the problems at work or to read God's word, we'd rather think about the problems at work. Because we feel like if we meditate on enough, it's going to automatically solve itself. And it's not. We have to go to God's word. We have to go to God's word. When we feel rejected, we want to have the pity party. And the boo-hoo. And everybody hates me. No one likes me. Think I'll eat some worms. Woo-hoo. You know, we'd rather get in the, the pity party. And, and the mopey party. And what happens is we're just using up wasted time and energy. We need to be going to God's word. When we get to the place where we're heartbroken of watching people heading to the wrong direction and it doesn't seem like we do anything about it, we have to go to God's word. Go to God's word. You see, this isn't just a book just to make you feel good. It's the book that we need to survive living on this world. We have to have God's word. You cannot underscore, you cannot overemphasize how much we need God's Word, especially in a time where God's Word is getting last place all the time. We need God's Word. So, the answer is to go back and think about the Scriptures. The answer to the enemies, the answers to the problems, the answers to the difficulties is oftentimes the last thing we want to do. the answer is to go back to God's word. Go back to God's word because in it he's going to show us some wonderful things from his law.